This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. All right, welcome to the last installment of the Spring 2016 UC Santa Barbara Distinguished Speaker Series. I am John Greathouse. You can follow me on Twitter at John Greathouse. And tonight, um, this, this is a special night. This is being sponsored by Big Speak Speakers Bureau. Uh, Big Speak not only was able to get Aaron Ross for us, best-selling author, they were not only able to get him to come here, but they actually donated 50 copies of Aaron's latest book, From Impossible to Inevitable. Um, and I think that's really significant because it allows the students to come in here having read the book, knowing what is going to be discussed, knowing what's going to be talked about, and um, just being more informed as to the conversation. So Aaron is married and has 12 children, most of whom he added to his family through adoption, which is a wonderful thing. He loves motorcycles, and he keeps a 25-hour work week. I'll say it again. He keeps a 25-hour work week. He is my hero. That is something to strive for, to be able to balance your family and your, and your very successful um, professional schedule and work um, at that pace is amazing. It's remarkable. He is a highly sought-after keynote speaker. He speaks all over the country. Um, and in addition to From Impossible to Inevitable, he's also a best-selling author of uh, Predictable Revenue. And it's become known as the sales bible of Silicon Valley. I know several CEOs who have re-engineered their sales departments and their pipeline um, funnel management to conform with the recommendations that Aaron makes in that book. So if you have not read that book, um, highly recommend that as well as From Impossible to Inevitable. Aaron's also the co-founder of CRO, and CRO, excuse me, of, of CARB.io, C-A-R-B.io, which is a pipeline automation software uh, company. And he's also the co-founder of Predictable University. He graduated from Stanford University. He's an ex-Ironman triathlete. And if that wasn't enough, he's also a graduate of the Boulder Survival School, the Outdoor Survival School. He lives in Los Angeles um, with his wife and his loving family, and there's lots and lots of things that Aaron could be doing tonight. He could be speaking somewhere else. He could be spending time with his, with his family. He could be working on a new book. He could be doing lots of things, but he decided to come here to speak with us tonight. I think that's a great honor. Let's welcome him to our class. Is this when I come out? this over here. All right, is the sound on? Good. Um, hi. Hello. Hello. You know, I'm actually not a big social media person, but I am on Twitter, Moto CDO, Moto CEO. Actually, I picked up the last maybe a couple months Snapchat. It's pretty, I don't know, I use it here and there. So if you want to take Aaron Ross 383 on Snapchat. In fact, you can see the car I drove in today which is a car you probably have never seen anyone drive. <clears throat> and I'll, I'll put it at the end. I don't really use Instagram much, but uh, I don't know, Instagram. I, don't, I feel like Snapchat made Instagram feel so fake. I don't know if you guys see this. Now, I'm going to share some things with you today. I see some heads nodding. Okay. I'm going to share some ideas with you today. Now, I'm going to tell you, this presentation is not written for college students. The book was not written for college students, but the principles around what does it take to create one of the fastest growing companies in the world, is a lot of those principles are the same if you want to be successful as a person, if you want to be successful in your career, if you want to start a company. 
Uh, I don't know, did, you, did people already get books? If there's 50 copies, people ought to read it or get copies, or is that later? Yep, okay. They got them a couple weeks ago. Okay. Great. I hope you read some of them. Bonus points. I know it's like this big paper thing, not on a phone. Uh, I will say, I'm actually a big fan of paper books, partly because I grew up with them, and partly because for a business book, I just don't like to read them from start to finish. I like to like skip around. I write them for the way I like to read them, which is, I'll just open it over here and see this. I'll go over here. and this part doesn't make sense to me. Skip, skip. Or I can dog ear it, I can mark it. So I like physical books, and I've heard a lot of people, the highest compliment I feel like I've gotten as an author, and let me see if I can get to that part. Is this, there we go. Is when people say, wow, this is, I've gotten some people say, I've never dog eared, I've never marked up a book as much as this book. That's one of the highest compliments I feel like I get as an author. Uh, you mentioned this is probably the book I'm still most known for in the business world. And my kids, they'll ask me sometimes, like, are you famous? I'm like, not really. I'm like, internet famous. And just like this little slice of the world, like Silicon Valley and sales and technology companies, I'm relatively famous. Like, medium famous. Like, if you have any parents or brothers or sisters who work at a software company in something related to sales, if they haven't at least heard of this book, they should probably be fired. Uh, actually, I'm not kidding. Uh, I'm married. There's been kids, work week, blah, blah, blah. Never thought I'd have a big family. Uh, I don't know. I just sort of, life happens. And never thought I'd adopt a bunch of kids. I, it just worked out that way. But they're really... Like, I love having a big family, and the kids have just been amazing, and I do miss them. So when John was saying, yeah, I could have been other places, like, it, I really, I hate to miss, like, bedtime. Um, I always feel like every, there's never enough time. Whenever I leave, there's a little bit of relief, like, oh, I got to actually sleep tonight. But when I'm gone, I'm like, oh, I missed, I feel like I missed something. I can't get back. And just one other aspect, one reason why I'm up here, I think, that you might be interested in, is like if you are, I don't know, I like guess successful in business or even other things in life and you become something of a known person, at least in your little sphere, you know, he mentioned the big, a company called Big Speak is what's sponsored tonight with the books. And so Big Speak's my speaking agent. And if you know anything about the speaking world, you know, people can get paid to talk. So I'm not getting paid today. I'm just doing it for fun. But, you know, people might get paid to come up here and like share information. Not so much at colleges, but more at businesses. There's definitely functions. And some people make a few thousand dollars or a few hundred dollars. For a, a typical talk like this at a business, I would make, um, well, I don't know about my cut, but like the fee to a business is somewhere between like fifteen dollars to $25,000 for like an hour of work, of which I get 70%. So uh, I hope you take this seriously. Again, I, the presentation is really written for, and the book is really for business executives, people in business. So you're not quite there yet. Maybe, or how many people are gra- either graduated or about to graduate? Okay, so I didn't try, you know, there's two reasons I didn't change it, try to be more college-friendly. First, it's been 20 years for me, so I don't really know, I don't even know how to change it, really. And second, uh, I think, I was going to share this as, as if you really know you are in that business mode, you're trying to start a business, or you're trying to grow a business, and just treat you that way, because some of you are in that space. How many people here are either have started or trying to start either some kind of business or nonprofit or something where you need to somehow like have funds coming in. Yeah, a bunch of people. Bunch of people. All right, so new book, blah, 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 best book I've ever read. Oh, I got a lot of good reviews on Amazon. And actually, these are from entrepreneurs, but I'll move on. And so why, a bit more about why I'm here today, and even doing these kinds of talks, was uh, five years ago, I was single. 
Now, I'm 44 now. It's hard to say. I'm like, God damn, I'm getting old. It's the first time I look in the mirror, I'm like, wow, I'm starting to look older. Like, my joints are starting to hurt. Like, I'm actually feeling a little old. And up until, like, 40, never even, like, ah, whatever. But having also having, you know, lots of kids will do that. It's like, I have, like, this super speed life. But I was single. I got married. A skill guy, I didn't have to make a lot of money. I could get by, I could experiment, I could try like passion projects that didn't, I, maybe I wanted them to make money, but didn't have to. And it wasn't until I got married and had a lot of kids, I'm like, oh, I have to make more money because I need to get a bigger place to live. Or, I, or a kid is not, a, it just doesn't work. At, this one kid doesn't work at public school. I need to get him in a public school. Or we need to, um, there's, like, there's legal bills, all these things. I have to make more money. It's not an option. And I grew my income you know, like 11 times in about four years, from around $70,000 to a little, uh, maybe under 800000 per year. Right? And it's the same principles that I used to do that turned out to be a lot in common for what works to grow businesses, what works to help a, a, a single person succeed in their career. And, you know, I consult a lot with companies, and I'd seen the same pattern for myself. There's companies who had something, like, in this case, you've got ideas. A lot of you have an idea. You're like, how do, I, how do I make this real? How do I get it out there? How do I grow it? And what's the difference between a company where it succeeds and happens versus where it doesn't? Right? And this new book is really about distilling a few of those key principles to help people who have an idea. And you've got something. It's not a book for how to start a business. It's really a book more like you have an idea. How do you have it grow? Especially how to have it grow past your friends and family. Because friends and family don't count. Your mom's always going to buy whatever you do. Or your friends are always going like, to subscribe to your crappy blog or crappy video uh, channel. And, you know, and some of the companies I've either worked at or my, co- my co-author, Jason Lemkin, worked at or, or uh, advised are some of the fastest-growing companies in the tech world, which means some of the fastest-growing companies in the world. Now, I don't know if, as a senior or junior or sophomore, the words like revenue, if you, I don't know, if you, maybe you don't even understand what the word revenue means. But these are companies that went from a million in revenue to year up to 100 million in two years, or Salesforce is now actually an $8 billion company. These are big companies. These are the companies, a lot of the fastest growing, the, comp- the people who start companies who want to emulate, they go to these companies. All right, so the book is written into seven sections, and each section has a painful truth. These are, again, there's a thousand ways you, there's like if you, go on the internet and you look for useful advice on sales or growing company. Like, there's infinite great content around how to start a company, how to sell, how to grow a company. There's too much good stuff, and there's only going to be more. So how do you figure out the few most important things going to get the biggest difference? That's what our goal was with this book. What are the most common problems that people suffer from? And like, if you can only do one thing or two things... What are those things? To sort through the noise. Okay, so this first one, the most common problem people face, and this is for sure going to be a problem that you will deal with right now in the future as you're growing up, is you want to grow or you want to be successful, but you're not ready to grow. And generally, this is, we call this idea of how do you nail a niche. I'm going to skip this a bit. So when you're not sure exactly what you're doing or who you're selling to or why they want what you want, why they want what you're offering, whether it's a product, whether it's a nonprofit, whether it's you're trying to get a job. It doesn't matter what you're selling. You, sales is a life skill. We'll get to that. But if you're trying to do this, maybe you're trying to get a date. I don't know. But 
um, when you're not really sure, you end up with, very, with vague, a vague idea about what you're trying to accomplish and what you're, how you're trying to help people. And this it doesn't just look like jargon. It is jargon. This doesn't mean anything. You know, maximizing the return on investment in the cloud, blah, blah, blah. This means I don't really know what I'm doing. I can do anything for anybody, which means I'm doing really, I'm not specializing or being an expert at anything. So this is a sign you haven't called it nailed a niche. You haven't become an expert, a specialist at being, being great at one thing. Really means that being great at solving one kind of problem. And you end up sounding like, when you say, when you, someone asks you what do you do, you're like, well, I'm studying uh, English and math, but I want to be, I want to do travel, and I'm really good at video, and this, that, and that, the other, and I do cricket, and I'm in athletics. It just ends up at the top, this is an old cartoon from the far side, it says, uh, the guys, this is like you saying, it sounds like this. You're trying, to, you're trying to communicate this idea. And you're like, okay, Ginger, stay out of the garbage, Ginger, or else. But what comes across to the person who's listening is blah, 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 Ginger, blah, 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 blah. Because you're throwing too many things at them. You can do all these things. Again, especially as a student, you're like, wow, what do I want to do? I want to do all these things. Or often as a business where you can do a lot of things, you haven't really like, grown up yet. And the more things you're... You don't want to miss out. Like, oh, yeah, we could do this. We could do video. We could do audio. We could cut that. We could do, yeah, whatever. What do you need? We could do that. But you're just confusing people. And it's not until you really realize what's the problem you're solving. What's the, the most important problem you're solving for them, the pain you're solving, or the value you provide, where it becomes clear as to why they would want to hire you. So when you can clear the clutter and figure out what are you going to be the best at, pick something. Pick something. So you see here, I did this first, and then I filled in the letters separately. That's a little bit of that magic, right? Then I put it backwards. <laughs> so when I talk about nailing a niche, in business, the word niche tends to be, I think, thought of as like, oh, we're, not, we're thinking small. Like, you know, small. But in this case, niche means focused. Right? It's about, yes, you have a lot of interests. It's sort of like, yes, you're, if you're on social media, you might post on all of them. That, it's so scattered. Like, pick one primary one to focus on and get really good at before you branch out, before you scatter yourself. Um, if it's a bunch of majors, if it's, you know, whatever your interests are, ultimately it's great to try a bunch of things. You have to to figure out what works, but you need, at some point, you're not going to be successful in the way you want, or whether it's your nonprofit, your business, your app, your this, that, the other, until you pick something and you can be great at it. Your thing. Says it's easier to be a big fish in a small pond. Or are you uh, to be successful? You need to stand out from the crowd. How can you be a big fish in a small pond? And it's easier to make the pond smaller than the fish bigger. So in other words, if you have a, an app or you're trying to do uh, like everything for everybody, it's like a photo app. You know, photos. You can do photos with everything. So how can you narrow the focus for what the problem is you're solving so they can really na- like crush it for one type of user? One type of customer, rather than trying to like serve too many. Now, examples of like starting, being successful by starting small include some of the biggest companies in the world where they had a big vision for what they wanted to do. You might want to change the world, but unless you pick some small area to get started with, you ain't going to change nothing. You'll just sit there and like dream about it all day or spin your wheels. So like Amazon, they started with just books. That's still a big market, but they just, he always wanted to sell everything. Or Facebook just started with Ivy League schools. Zappos shoes and Salesforce with like sales-related tools. 
So again, it's okay to have a big vision. Don't let the fear of missing out stop you from picking one thing, next thing, to really dig into and get to be really good at. Or pick one thing, and if it doesn't work, move on to the next. But if you sit there, spin your wheels on all these things you could do, you're never going to get traction. Now, what I would tend to look at as a company or individual is, in the past, when you've had customers or when you've had projects or whatever it is you do, when you've been involved with teams, what have you done that has contributed the most value to other people? When you've been a need to have, they needed you. It could be a job, a class. You weren't a nice to have. If you're nice to have, what happens in, in businesses, if I'm a business who's buying software, if you're something, you have a cool app, and a bunch of you probably have created cool apps that people aren't buying because they're, not, they're, they're cool, but I don't really need them. I, I like it. What do I do with that, though? How is that going to help my business? So again, it, it takes way more energy than you realize for at least a business to buy something and implement it and use it and get value from it which means that if it's not a need to have, if it's just a nice, it's going to fall off the priority list. And this is about learning, like, how do you solve problems for people? I know you want to, like, save the world, but what's the problem you're going to solve? Um, there's some, I can't remember where I, I learned it, but rather than thinking about what do you want to do with your life, think about what kinds of problems you want to solve. Uh, here's an example. My daughter, Aurora, is 13. She loves donuts. Who doesn't? Um, and she used to say, hey, Dad, you know, can you take me to donuts? And I'd say, no. Like, why? I don't know. But when she, you know, again, she learns this stuff, and she says, hey, Dad, well, you know, when we've gone to donuts, there's been some of the most fun times in my life. These are like lifetime memories. And whether she's being serious or like selling to me, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, I get it. Okay, let's go. Because she's speaking my language. Uh, one more story, and by the way, of course, I, I, I only uh, want to strangle her once in a while. Uh, she's a fantastic, fantastic kid. Very impressive, and she's so fun. She's the most fun of all our kids to play with, really. Um, she's on YouTube. She'll, I mean, she'll be a, a social media star, a TV star at some point. She wants it to be yesterday, but, you know, someday. But uh, she also came to me and said, hey, Dad, and Christmas I got all these iTunes cards, like $150 of iTunes cards. Would you buy them from me? And if it's like uh, Amazon cards or some gift cards, sure, I'll buy them. Like, we could use those all day long. But with iTunes, I'm like, I don't know. I, spend, I don't spend money on iTunes, like $3 a month, if that. So I'll buy a $25 card, but uh, the rest is sort of on your own. Like, I, I don't know. And then she came back a few days later or a week later and said, well, hey, Dad, you know, we do Friday night movie night, and there's a bunch of classic movies that we want to get we haven't gotten. Did you know you could actually use these iTunes cards to buy the movies? And I was like, huh? Ah, you're right. And I... I, I bought the cards, and we used them to get the movies, and she, she turned it around for me to see it as a need-to-have rather than a nice-to-have. Now, it'll never be that easy for you. I guarantee you, it will never. I've ne it's, just, it's not. But the principle is the same, which is how do you get inside the heads of the people that you want to sell to and sell in the, the best meaning of the word, where you're trying to persuade, inspire, or help. Because we all have friends who are trying to inspire them or sell them on breaking up with that horrible boyfriend or girlfriend, or... You know, whatever the horrible situation is, how do you sell them on helping themselves? Same idea. Sales can be about selling someone on doing something better. Use this software to improve your business. You know, do hire me because I'm going to be a value to your business. Right? And the book goes into more details on like, how would you nail a niche. This is just spreadsheets and things. But the, real, it's, the idea is to take all these problems you could solve, 
or are solving, and break it down like, into smaller pieces, many like, more smaller problems, and then prioritize them based on the best chance of success you have. Right? When you sort of think about general, like, I want to change the world, I want to like, help kids, ah, okay, what does that mean? And try to make it more concrete, something you can take action on, something you can do about. All right, that's the first one. <clears throat> so I mentioned seven parts. Second painful truth is overnight success is a fairy tale. Now, once in a while, it happens enough, and the social media picks it up so that some kid at 11 years old writes an app and makes a million dollars. And then suddenly, oh, everyone's failing. But the reality is, overnight success it really is that thing that takes 10 years to happen. Right? They say the, overnight, the 15 years, overnight, overnight success, it took 15 years in the making. That's what happens. You know, you can dream about the overnight success, but you have to be prepared to uh, do the work to figure out how to be successful. And you're not going to have, I mean, I don't know, maybe there's one person, maybe not, that's going to have like a, some viral video, or um, I know enough about like social media stars, not that much, but, you know, I have a friend who's the lawyer to, is it Jack and Jack? When he's, you know, it's like a Vine stars that they had some video they like took off. You know, there's a few of those people. So maybe it's like a one in a hundred thousand chance. Like it happens enough, but you should go for it, but you can't count on it. So in this case, the idea is how can you, cre- until you can create a predictable way to generate opportunities for yourself, you're not going to be, you're going to be at the mercy of fate. So for example, let's say that you want to sell a new water filtration system to governments. <coughs> You're not gonna, you know, maybe you get written up on Huffington Post and you get a bunch of calls, but at some point those calls will stop. So if you don't have a way, you call it to generate leads, right, opportunities, which is some way to say, look, what if you had a way to generate four meetings a month with governments to sort of sell them this water filtration system? All right, some system to do that, to make it predictable, so you can count on always having those opportunities, whether you're raising money for a nonprofit, whether you're trying to sell someone an idea. And I say uh, there's these three types of leads. So I mean, the lead is really like an opportunity. It's an opportunity to call it like pitch something, in this case. And pitch, again, positive, if you're trying to sell yourself an idea or a product. Um, politics is selling all the time. You know, the best salespeople in the world were like Gandhi, JFK, Elon Musk. Like, so when I, and we'll get to that, but selling is a life skill. If you don't know how to sell yourself an idea or product, you're not going to do anything, not going to accomplish anything in life beyond the minimum. So there's three kinds of leads here. And like at home, we've got these three kinds of princesses. Now they each have their pros and cons. There's the little girl princess, the classic. Then there's the grandpa princess, definitely has some cons there. And then there's the little brother princess. This is what happens when you have an Aurora who has too much time and access to makeup and a little brother. That's Maverick. And these have their pros and cons. And likewise, when you're trying to generate opportunities for yourself, there's these three types that you need to know about to categorize what is going to work best for you. Word of mouth, which means reaching out to friends, family, your networks. Usually where you begin. Start with your friends, people you know, people who know you, friends of friends. And then at some point, either if that's not working or you've sort of like tapped that out, you might do some kind of mass marketing, you know, Google ads or social media. That's another type. And there's a third type, outbound prospecting, outbound sales. Tends, people tend to be afraid of this. It might be the idea that you have to pick up the phone and call someone you don't know. It might be walking into a shop with someone you don't know. But this is like, hey, there's a, you, you're putting together 
a targeted list of the people you want to talk to or companies you want to talk to and going after and figuring out how to talk to them. So it's probably the last place most of you would go, but one of the most important skills to learn at some point. So start with word of mouth is the easiest. Don't be, and naturally I think people end up with like the marketing or social media. Don't be afraid of prospecting or sales. Uh, I'm going to skip through a little bit of this stuff, except for the idea on the word of mouth side. You know, the book, we want, again, predictable ways to generate opportunities. So if, again, or if you were trying to get in front of, um, who, has a, who has a business here? Who has an app? Yeah, what kind of app? Well, we have a, like a starting business, it's a startup. Yep. Um, it's a water uh, sampling equipment. Oh, that's pretty close, actually. Huh? Water sampling, who would you sell to? Uh, or would? We, our niche market is uh, academic research laboratories. Okay. So academic research laboratories, and you sell water filtration. Sorry, what is it? It's an app or it's a, no, it's a product? It's a, it's a hardware device that collects water samples information. Okay, hardware. And how have you gotten any meetings for it yet? Uh, no, we just had the MDC competition. Um, and we won the MDC competition, but we're still trying to find some uh, okay. angel investors. So, let's, perfect example. This works. All right, you, sh you should start. So basically, if you couldn't hear it, Water filtration system, they'd sell it to academic laboratories. They, haven't, they just barely started. They just won a competition. Congratulations, by the way. I never won any competition, so you, you're going to do much better than me in 20 years. But where you would start would be people here on campus, right? Is there, is there a laboratory here on campus? Yeah. That's the first place you go knock on their door. And then after that, you're like, who's next door? Is there another college nearby? Go yeah, like, okay, where you know people. After that, you might start posting here, or are you already posting on Instagram or... Okay, you might be posting on social media, but then that's not going to get you that far. Maybe at some point you say, "Look, what are the other colleges we need to talk to? The other la sorry academic laboratories we need to talk to, and why aren't they? If they're not calling us, how do we go call on them?" That's where you would make a list, and whether it's through email, friend, phone call, you go talk to them. You need to go. Don't wait around for them for the phone to ring. This is where this idea that overnight success, oh, we just put up this blog post or this social media or YouTube video, and like, people are going to call us. It doesn't work that way. You have to go out and make it happen. And so with word of mouth, those networks, when you can, the, 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 probably the number one, one of the number one points from tonight, if you remember it, is this idea, of, they call it customer success. And it's simple, right? The more, the more successful you can make your customers, the more likely they're going to refer others. But when you can systematize this, and you have, you say, all right, we know who the best customers are, we know how to find them, we know how to, they, they buy, but we know how to make sure they, they get value from it. Because it's too easy to assume they're going to know how to do this. Because how can you walk, through, walk them through the process and make sure they, they not only buy it, but they, they, get the results they, want, they get the results they want and they appreciate it. And do that in a systematic way so your customers are happy. And when they are, you, you get better case studies, they come case studies and testimonials or references. So when you can publish stories about them, right, so you have better stories to publish, or when other laboratories want to buy it and they ask, well, who else is using it? And you tell them, they can call those people and your customers will say yes and give them a thumbs up. Because if you don't have happy customers, you got nothing. You might have to, by the way, you might have to, don't be afraid of starting with unhappy customers because sometimes you have to get something off the ground and it doesn't work for a while and people just don't like it, in order to get to the point where you know what to build. 
Don't be afraid of some failure. Uh, marketing. So remember, we're trying to get these meetings. One way, we just go ask our friends. Another way is through marketing, where ideally you try to find a way. It's called a funnel. To say, look, if we do you know, 20 posts, or we do 10 webinars, we do five events, some number of marketing activities, and there's, a min- there's, there's all kinds, right? There's PPC, there's could be social, there's <coughs> events, there's uh, got, you know, I don't know, webinars, all kinds of things. If we do, or if we do 100 events and 500 people come, then and 10% of them are a good fit for our product, and then 50% of them actually are interested in buying it. And you're trying to get to the point where you have some predictability. You can say, oh, okay, if we do 10 events, we're going to generate two customers. Okay, that is some, the kind of thinking you need in order to control how fast your business can grow and not be dependent on like, well, the phone didn't ring today. Okay, then what are you going to do? Uh, so I mentioned we, word of mouth, marketing. Marketing is like one-to-many broadcasting. Now, prospecting is really my specialty. I worked at a company called Salesforce.com, and I created this outbound prospecting system that helped them add $100 million in a few years and since then probably like a billion dollars to their revenue. I don't know if that means anything or not, but it's a lot of money. And this system works where, again, let's say there's a, uh, how many, uh, let's say there's a thousand academic libraries in the United States, uh, laboratories. And so, all right, there's a thousand of those lab- Let's just like, get the whole list. And you know, really, there's only 500 that could or would be a good fit for what we sell, or maybe 200. So let's like find, let's get their contact information. It could be phone numbers, email addresses, social media. You know, for at laboratories, there's probably a lot less social media. They're still light. They don't use it as much. So email is still the number one way to get in touch with people. And again, we want to get something predictable. So if you say, if we send 500 emails a month to these laboratories, we should get 10 meetings a month. And there's some calls and other steps. Let's say if we do X per month, we know we, we need to do X in order to get 10 meetings a month. And if we have 10 meetings or demos, that will, they'll, 20% will buy. Right? This gives you some predictability to know if you need to generate a million dollars next year, you can work backwards and say, well, I just need to send, you know, target this number of people, this, this number of emails and calls, this number of demos, and so on. Right? Some predictability. So you're not guessing all the time. You don't want to, I mean, when you can help it, you don't want to guess with your money because if you have a business or you have a nonprofit, does anyone here, have they started or you have a nonprofit you run? Maybe not. Nonprofits are tough. They are tough. And you think, is there someone here? Oh, he's hiding. Yes. All right, what kind of nonprofit? It's a, it's a volunteer organization. I don't think the mic's working. Volunteer organization? Uh, okay, what's it called? Uh, the Welsh Foundation. The Welsh? Welsh Foundation. Welsh? Yes, Welsh. Welsh Foundation. Um, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being impossible, how, much either, how hard is it or how much do you enjoy raising money for it or keeping it financially sustainable? So One is like a joy, it's super easy. Yeah. 10 is like, ah, this is so freaking hard. So we, we actually don't raise, uh, we don't do fundraising. That's not our primary uh, objective of the organization. It's primarily uh, to encourage individuals to uh, become active in the community and volunteer for, for events and, and, and uh, that sort of thing. Okay. So no it's fundraising. Like volunteer, you don't really have to deal with money. Correct. Yeah. Okay. That's one way to do it, right, because it could be a pain in the ass. Generally, at some point, if you want to take something bigger, 
and not that everything does, you end up having, money is always very important. Like it's, I don't, there's, I'm sure there's things, um, movements that help change the world and help change people's lives. And ultimately, at some point, money is usually part of that. To take something and make it bigger. But it's tough. And if you're fundraising for a nonprofit, if, you, if that's involved, you know, this is the same idea. Or if you're trying to raise money or a Kickstarter campaign, it's more like the marketing part. Right? This is like a Kickstarter campaign. I'm trying to collegeify my talk. Uh, all right, so part of that is like there's a thousand. So if there's one takeaway though, there's a, there could be like a thousand ways to market your idea. Depending on what you're comfortable with, depending on what you're good at, depending on what you're selling, don't do with, it's sort of like similar to this. Don't try a thousand things, try like three or two or one, or maybe try ten and but narrow it down to one or two or three things that you can really triple down in. Just scattering your energy over like tons of stuff, and you can really get great at. Kickstarter, or you can really get great at YouTube, or whatever the, like, really focus your energy. So in other words, it's like try a bunch of stuff, and then focus on what works, triple down on that. Uh, all right, part three. The painful truth is if you have something you're trying to grow it, speeding up growth actually can create more problems than it solves. You might think, oh, hey, we won this competition. Woohoo! And then the next day you're like, oh, wait, now we've got to do something with this, right? Is, are you more or less stressed today than you were like a week ago? I mean, before you even entered the competition, because that's a whole other stress. Um, Way more stressed. Who thinks if you have a company, you start, has anyone here raised venture capital or raised outside funding? Yeah, John. Okay, wait a second. <laughs> if you have, okay, if you think, oh, if we have this app or we have this app, uh, you know, and we raise money, wow, we're going to be successful. No, not necessarily. You will be more stressed because then you have more responsibilities, like next level. Right? Raising them, if you think raising money is the goal, and it's like if you raise the right money or enough, no, it gets way harder because then you've got to spend it, you've got to earn it back. How are you going to make money? It's, it can be a great forcing function to force you to figure out how to make money with your project. So again, an example of trying to go faster whether that's growing sales, whether that's getting out there, whether that's raising money, whatever that is, or, or turning your dream into a project, it first creates more problems, but they're better problems. Uh, I'm going to skip this part. Um, actually, one, so this is like tips to a sales leader of a company from a successful VP of sales. And I will say that if you think there's anything in business that encourages people to lie, cheat, or steal. Yes, but that's on the shady side. In all the most successful businesses, well, not all, but you'll find just, there's just as many or more people who say, be honest, up, you know, up and down from the, from the bottom of the company to the top. Honesty is really powerful. Yeah, some people are going to lie, but we want that to be the exception. You don't have to. You shouldn't. Now, if there's 200 people in here, there's probably at least, by, by rule of averages, at least one sociopath or psychopath. It's probably you. Uh, maybe, I don't know, a close, close second. But there's a lot of people who just, they can't help but lie. Um, but, you know, honestly, it may, not, it may be scary to admit something. You win a competition, but suddenly then you realize, wow, this product doesn't work the way we thought. Or we're about to raise money, but wait a second, something fell apart. But you know, honesty is really important, especially in businesses, especially in sales, and especially in relationships. 
if, who's, who here has a girlfriend or boyfriend? How, I, like, I know you get like hookups and things, but if you have someone that is more your, you know, how many, and I'll bet most of you who hold your hand up, there's probably something you'd like to tell them that you're holding back on, if you're honest about it. Better to tell them and deal with it. Uh, one last thing on this slide. Actually, we're going to get to the next one, sorry. There's a lesson here. I'm going to, I'm going to repeat it in the next actually, section because it's so important, so I'm going to wait on it. Uh, one more thing on this, how to grow what you do. Um, focus. Like, you know, honestly, if there's probably one word today that I would take away, it's really about focus. You know, doing fewer things better. So that's the kinds of opportunities or problems you're looking to solve, the way you're marketing them, and sort of what you're doing every day. Now, in a sales, uh, sales team, the way that sales has always worked, has anyone here had a sales job on campus or before? Okay, it's a bunch. Did you have to do your own prospecting for whatever you did? No? Uh, good. People are learning. But traditionally, when I did, I did sales at Stanford, the Stanford newspaper, and it you know, pretty much sucked. But I don't know. I just want to try it. I had some friend who tried it. And I had to find out my, all the, my own like, leads and, and try to close them. And I wasn't very good at it, by the way. And most sales for hundreds of years has been, you're in sales. You need to do your own prospecting or find your own customers to sell or close. And what now, this is what I probably, I'm probably the number one proponent to be you know, telling people there's a different way, is that as you start to build your organization... And it's not just in sales, it's every part of the company, really. It's just for some reason, sales is the last one to do it. You want to have more of a team. You know, it's probably going to sound stupid simple to you, I hope. But most people, Fortune 5000 executives, build sales teams based on you're a salesperson, you need to go prospect, you need to get your leads and close them. That's how most businesses do it. But what you need to do is actually have a team-based approach where you've got you know, in means there's like a team of junior salespeople who are responding to people calling you, like inbound leads, people calling you on the 800 number or off, you know, your website. It's different than an outbound team of people who are doing the prospecting. And they're putting that list together, they're calling, emailing, social media, whatever, to reach out to those people who aren't calling you. And that's, again, different than people who are assigned to, like, signing up new customers. And those are different roles than people who are maintaining the current customers, making sure they're happy, or sort of uh, offering the new products to buy. Now, it may seem really simple. Like, on a sports team, you've got forwards and halfbacks and defenders and goalies. And, all right? People don't do it this way. I don't know why. I think it's just habit. So this has, like, been a revolution in the sales world, that you have prospectors to prospect versus closers versus this, that, the other. So, but the principle is, when you have enough... Um, when you have a team of something happening, and this happens in engineering, is... People do fewer things better. Or, you know, have divide, divide and conquer so everyone's doing fewer things better, less juggling, less multitasking. Now, if you're uh, one person or two people, the way you would do this is you would look at specializing, focusing time on your calendar. So let's say that you're trying to build an app. You're like, I just can't get the time to build this app. Okay. Well, when I wrote this last book, I blocked off Wednesdays as my writing day. Because I can't do it like an hour here, hour there. I just can't. So again, I took the principle of specialization, and I did it with my calendar, where Wednesday was writing day. Or for some people, they like, you just block out time in a calendar for that thing that you need to get to, but you can't seem to get to. 
That's how you start with this idea. And you can use it tomorrow, whether it's studying, getting, launching, getting something off the ground, getting a job, um, learning some, a skill you've been putting off. OK, so that's one of the ways that you make it easier for you to grow your business, grow your project. Just focus on like, a key thing that you need to do. Uh, now, this is, I think, a really <coughs> important lesson for especially younger entrepreneurs, whether, whether you're doing like, anything, is that it's hard to build a big business out of small deals. If you're selling dollar, I mean, people do it. Now, I'm from the business to business world, which means I'm used to selling to businesses. And so, like a business, uh, you know, there's business to consumer called B2C, where most of you are consumers, you buy an app off, you know, iTunes for a dollar. Um, I'm more used to saying, all right, you've developed an app. How can you, instead of selling an iTunes for a dollar, which is great, as long as you have that funnel working, what if you could take that and take it to a business and sell it to them for, 10, for like a subscription of $10,000 a year? So they're, they're just different. Businesses have money. They like to spend money if you can solve a problem. But either way, the idea is you can start with small deals to get started. Either like you have free users, or they're like a dollar, or $50, or whatever. Like just to get off the ground, do anything, whatever you got to do. But as soon as you can figure out how to do bigger deals, on the consumer side, it usually means going to some sort of bigger uh, called distribution place to like a big partner, if you can get it through someone who's going to sell it for you. Or um, on, uh, obviously, um, if there's uh, I'm trying to think of a popular, like, I don't know, the New York Times, if you can get, to, that's not a good example. I'm trying to think of like a good I don't know, channel partner that they would recognize. <laughs> BuzzFeed, OK. So if you, can, you get this app, and it's working, and it's like they're all free users. You're not making any money, but it gives you the credibility to go to a place like BuzzFeed or some big media outlet. And they're like, this is, yes. And we're going to promote this, because you've, you've proven this is cool. And it gets you to like a bigger deal, a bigger partner who's going to promote it for you. And maybe there's a way to make money. Then that's how you make money with, or make an impact with whatever your project is. If you're selling to businesses, again, you might do a $10. You make some website, and you charge people $10 a month for the thing to get started. You ain't going to make any money at that. But if that gets you to the point where you've got enough proof, where you can sort of repackage it and, and read the book and learn how to, or it's all online, but read how to, it's, it's not that big a leap. Take a $10 a month app and repackage it so you can sell it to a business who buys it for like all their employees, and you make you know, $20,000 a year instead. So fewer, bigger deals. That's sort of my background. So anyway, uh, when you do the math and you think about it, if you do a dollar app or a free app, if you create an iPhone app or Android or whatever, and it's like, it's a free app, great, you get downloads. But okay, if 1% you, if of the people buy, if you actually do the math, you have to get like millions of users to make any money. So some of you might have done this or may do it. It's not my area, but it's like think about the math of like if you want to make a certain amount of money, how many individuals at a dollar do you have to get versus how many businesses at ten thousand dollars? Any sort of those, or if you're selling dollar apps, how do you get that to the point where you can justify getting bigger exposure or bigger partners? All right, part five, and unfortunately, this is the painful truth: is it's going to take years longer than you want. So whatever your dream is right now, and whatever goals you have by the age 30, in general, this is how it works. 
if you want to start a software company, it's more likely to take 10 years than one year to get to some point where it's financially successful, or you exit. If you start, uh, call it like a, sa- a software as a service company, like SaaS or business-to-business software, it probably takes two or three years to get to the point where there's, you even know if this is going to be successful or not. Is there something here or not? Uh, you know, the stories like Instagram, you know, it happens, but they're really the exception. And what they don't show, or anyone here heard of this company Slack? Slack is a company that, uh, there's articles that came out like a year or two ago saying, hey, how this company went from zero to a billion dollars in, in like eight months. Zero to a billion, or maybe it's ten months. Right? Because it's company, they, it was a business-to-business company. It's like chat for companies. They released it and just like took off. And they didn't make a billion dollars in revenue, but investors came in and valued the company at more than a billion. Within less than a, it was definitely less than a year of, of them releasing the product. And uh, oh my God, it's like, it's like the fat, one of the fastest growing software companies ever. And of course, what they didn't, what the, the press loves to amp up super fast results, whether they succeeded super fast or failed super fast. And what they left out was this company, which by the way started by the, one of the guys who uh, sold Flickr, so it was already someone who'd been successful. This company struggled doing getting anything done, was unsuccessful for five years before they hit on this thing. But they don't like to talk about that because it's not good for the story. All these overnight successes leave out the usually years of hard work that people put in to get to the point where it was successful. And even if you, going back to the uh, overnight success as a fairy tale, even if you get lucky or maybe you're just super brilliant and you have some big success, a lot of times that, that overnight success doesn't, it's like you're a one-hit wonder. How do, you want to, how do you make sure you're not a one-hit wonder? You have to go back and like earn the success later. So you can dream about it, but be prepared for the journey to be a lot longer and harder than you would realize or would expect or hope even. And uh, I think here, I don't know if this laser works. So this, there's these different paths. I think this, so this middle path, like straight line to the treasure, but I do my own art. Uh, the straight line to the treasure is sort of like your dream. Oh, I wish I could just make a million dollars next month or change the world, whatever your dream is. And you think, well, but it'll probably involve, like, I gotta get, like, a job, and then I gotta do this, and I gotta climb these mountains, and then, you know, then I'll, you know, make it. The reality is, you know, you start off, and you, like, end up wandering in the desert, desert in circles for years, and then you're like, oh, okay, I'll get out of that. Oh, damn it, there's this dragon, I'm getting toasted, and then, I, oh, got out of that. Oh, damn, I landed in the volcano with the lava. Ah! You know, it's just like this, uh, you know, this, this, the journey is way harder and longer than you would expect. And again, this is something that now, 20 years later, I would not have really appreciated, but it's, it's, it's harder, but also the value is often you don't get to success with going through those tough times. Like those tough times are what help make you successful. And whether it's in personal, I don't know, you guys are probably too young, but is anyone here married or already divorced? Uh, you know, some of the things I learned most when I had my first internet business fail, super hard, but I learned the most from that. Or when I, had a, I was married before and that I got divorced, I learned a ton from that. It's incredibly painful, but sometimes it's those things, we learn a lot more from our failures than from our successes. So, easy to say, it's uh, hard to remember when you're in the, in the hot coals. And something that exacerbates this problem, because this is really, 
more of an issue around like expectations and determination and persistence because you're thinking, okay, I should have this app created in like people, are, I should be like at 10,000 users in three months. And when you've got 10 users in three months, you're like, oh my God, I'm failing, I quit. I'm gonna go do something else. But the reality is, again, if you just keep plugging, might, maybe it should take you three years to get to that point. This, this, um, art of these unrealistic expectations. So part of this is called the reality distortion field has been created by social media. It's, it's really accelerated it because we're surrounded by stories of people's success, like our friends, family. You know, someone got this app on the App Store, number one, or someone sold this company, someone got this job, someone has this incredible girlfriend or boyfriend. Um, they're killing it. Why am I struggling? Why am I struggling when everyone else is crushing it? Right. Do, how many, do people in here feel that way? It's okay. Yeah, you don't have to put your arm up. You probably do in college. You can't help it, can you? Unless you have no goals. And if you had no goals, you wouldn't be here in this program. Seriously. We're surrounded by success, and, but you have to remember that it's, an, it's a, we call it a reality distortion field because the only thing people generally post is are, it's mostly good news because it's exciting to share. And yeah, you might want to look good too, but it's also exciting. When you're arguing with your girlfriend or boyfriend, how much do you want to like stop and be wait a second, I gotta post this. <laughs> so not only can it be embarrassing, it's also an invasion of their privacy. Plus, you just it's not like appropriate. You're not gonna like stop and do it. So there's 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 plenty of reasons why most social media we see is positive. What you have to remember is everyone you see who's succeeding is also dealing with a bunch of shit too, but they're not posting it. They're not. Whoever here got like the prime McKinsey or like, won the competition, right? He said, now I'm way more stressed. By the way, it's still, it's a better problem to have, right? Growth creates more problems. It's a better problem. It's still a problem. So it's not like you're going to get there, even make a lot of money and be like, oh, now I can just relax and coast the rest of my life. It doesn't work that way. So that's why I say we have this anxiety economy where everyone's like anxious because they're not doing enough. They're not succeeding enough. I'm not, my thing isn't good enough. And, you know, it may not be. It may be crap. But it's exacerbated by all the stories. And you may realize, wow, you know, I'm only in year one. It probably would take me another year to get this thing to the point where it's not horrible. And people actually really like it. It took me two years to, get, to co-write this book. I didn't think it'd take that long, but... Uh, okay, so the two years thing, I mentioned too, a software company might take two years to get off the ground to the point where you know if, if you got something. Or it might take five to ten years to go through the point of starting it and growing it, and then selling it, and so we call it an exit, and making money off of it. I have one of my friends from college who's been working on a software company for like 15 years. He's still not quite to the point where he could probably sell it, but not as much as he feels like it's, it's worth. 15 years. All right, last couple bits of the book is really not so much about sales and marketing, but about people. Some of this may or may not make sense to you today, but it's really helping you understand if you get a job, how do you think about being an employee? How do you be successful in your career? Now, part of that is understanding how managers, owners, or bosses, or executives think. Because if you don't understand how they think or what they want, and you won't at first until you are one, but at least, you know, it's like how to stop being very like, selfish and being, balancing being selfish for what you need with how do you give them what they need. Now, the painful truth of part six, this chapter is really for like, business owners and executives and managers. So in this case, that's not, this might be a few of you, but the point is, even if you're going to be an employee or student, how do you see how they think? 
And the painful truth is your employees, again, let's assume you're all CEOs or managers, your employees are renting, not owning their jobs. In fact, if there's teachers here, most of your students are renting, not owning their classes. What does that mean? Okay, you don't have to read this, but in the book, there's a letter. In fact, I've had a bunch of people say this is their favorite you know, part of the book, but this is a letter from an employee to an executive. It's a letter from a, an employee to a CEO. It's called that one. And the letter says basically, Dear CEO, um, I really enjoy working here at this company. But how many of you are interning or working at some place right now? Okay, a bunch of you. Okay, so maybe this, let's see how, if I get this right. I really enjoy working here. Um, like, I like the people, good opportunity. I believe in what you're doing, but I don't feel heard or appreciated. I don't feel like my ideas are being respected or taken seriously. And you know what? If I had the right opportunity, I would crush it. Dear, or, you know, your best employee. Uh, or was I pretty close? I've been one. But... What would the flip side look like if the CEO wrote you a letter back? Right? So I know a lot of companies say, well, our younger people, they want to be promoted every three months. Like, you know, they need this. Up. All right, well, if a CEO wrote you a letter back, they would say something like this. Dear employee, I appreciate you working here. I wouldn't have hired you if I didn't like you and see the potential for you to add value to her or to be successful here. Dear employee, uh... I believe in you. I wouldn't have hired you otherwise if I didn't think you had a lot to add here. I didn't think you'd be successful here with us, whether it's as an intern or a salary employee or whatever, or a volunteer. I know you get frustrated. I'm not dumb. Um, but, you know, you're missing out. You're not take, the thing is, you're not taking advantage of your opportunity here. You don't realize how big your opportunity is here if you really go for it. And if you're the type who's waiting to be told how to be successful... If you're waiting for me to tell you how to succeed in terms of leapfrogging in your career the way you want to, you're missing the whole point. The people who leapfrog in their career, however you define career, because some of you may not go into companies, the people who leapfrog in their like, vision of success are the ones that take the initiative. They don't need to wait around to have their hands held. They go and make it happen. They're the ones who come to me and make my life easier solve my problem, maybe a problem I know about, maybe one I didn't know about, and go out and make it happen for me. That's how you advance your career faster. So in other words, if you need me to tell you what to do all the time, if you need to tell me, if you need me to tell you how to be successful, you're just making more work for me. So that's what an owner would do. It's sort of how do you be an entrepreneur or think like one in any situation you are rather than waiting to be told what to do. So the difference here for, again, an owner is thinking about your employees, which you don't realize as an owner, is that you're, every owner, like every manager, every owner says this. Like, my employees don't work as hard as I do. They don't take the initiative as, hard, as much as I would think they should. Why do they need their hands held all the time? That's how they think. Uh, they don't put in the extra mile. To them, what I say is, well, your employees don't go the extra mile because they don't feel like they own anything. They don't act like owners because they don't own anything. And this example really has hit home for a lot of executives where you compare, like, how do you treat, if you own a car versus rent a car, how do you treat them? Or if you owned an apartment versus rent a hotel room, 
how would you treat them differently? Uh, if you had kids versus babysit someone else's kids, how would you treat them? If you have your own project or work or grades, how do you treat that versus if you're like helping someone else's stuff? You don't like emotionally fully own it. And so you, you, you just put in the minimum if you don't really own it. You just like do the minimum. And most people, most employees do the minimum. Well, it's, I don't, it doesn't matter whose fault it is. It's partly the employee, it's partly the owner. Right? That's why we have a chapter for owners, chapter for employees. So let me phrase it this way. You're not going to be as successful as you want by doing the minimum. All right, last part. This chapter is for employees. Right? Uh, and I think this is, again, something I wouldn't have really appreciated. Is like now, being older, this painful truth that you know, most people let your frustration stop you rather than motivate you. Now, I can say if you're looking for success, money, impact, fame, maybe love, it doesn't happen when you go on the kiddie ride, right? The easy job, the easy class, the easy opportunity. It happens when you go for like the challenging one, where you're not sure if you can do it, or you're stretching yourself, or it's a market that maybe you're not sure about. Um, you're not one out of a thousand apps that all look the same. You're doing something new, or difficult, or right. It's the, it's not to be afraid of something that. Uh, it's like not always trying to take the easiest road. So how can you embrace frustration? Because frustration is a part of growing. It's a part of doing something new. You can't avoid it unless you do nothing. Congratulations on the book, Aaron. We really yeah. appreciate you coming. Yeah, thank thank you. you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.